Welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. The following review will contain spoilers and may contain strong language. Once every hundred years, at the stroke of midnight, the amulet becomes vulnerable, and at that moment it can be shattered. And if it is? And the balance between good and evil will shift, and evil will rule. I think there's monsters, like real ones. I heard my dad talking on the telephone to a guy down at the police station. There was a guy screaming, he was a werewolf. I know this will sound pretty stupid, but a mummy disappeared from the museum tonight. Mummy came in my house. And guys... Dracula might be here too. As part of our throwback series, today we'll be looking at The Monster Squad, starring Andre Gower, Robbie Kiger, Stephen Mack, Duncan Ray here, Ashley Bank, Ryan Lambert, and Tom Noonan. Directed by Fred Decker. Hello and welcome to the Rewire Movie Podcast. It's Gally in Glasgow. And Devlin in London. And it's Patrick, or Wags, as Devlin likes to call me, in London as well. Happy Halloween, everyone. How's everyone getting on? Happy oh, Halloween. Right. Devlin's favourite time of year. Ah, oh, it's dead good, indeed, isn't it? Indeed. It's dead good. Just for posterity, uh, so Devlin's taken a day off work post-Halloween because he loves it that much. I would also like to correct that and say I've taken two days off work. <laughs> Halloween. I, took I Halloween dig it, man. I took the next day off because I stayed up because I stayed up late watching films, didn't I? Wicked. Anything of uh, anything of note? Uh, actually, this year I mostly stuck with with some old favourites. Also, I kept it kind of light this year. You know, I, I, uh, I watched uh, Beetlejuice, which I haven't seen in a couple of years. Oh, oh good cool. choice. Yeah. Brilliant. Hey, uh, Dablin, was uh, Halloween three season of the witch on on that list of yours as well? Was it? Uh, Yes. <laughs> Not again. You didn't. You didn't watch it again, did you? I, well, I, I watched. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Why did I? Uh, I was doing uh, Halloween-themed arts and crafts. Oh, I saw your T-shirt. Looked very yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. I'll be finishing that this weekend. Please put your orders very in good. if if you guys want one. The only thing I I was cooking dinner the other day. We wanted to watch something Halloweeny, and we put on Casper, the friendly ghost. <laughs> <laughs> It's the only thing that I've quickly found. I thought, yeah, that'll do. Why not? The CGI probably the scariest thing in that film. Order. <laughs> <laughs> so today, as part of our throwback series, Patrick's Choice, The Monster Squad from 1987, directed by Fred Decker. So Patrick, why The Monster Squad? Well, I think I touched upon it a bit last week, last week, a couple of weeks ago, where I have, I have such a vivid memory of watching this film and really enjoying it when I was younger. I think it was about 1995 I've worked out when I watched it. And I even remember the, the room I was in in my old house with my mum and dad. And this particular film, I had my friend, another guy called Patrick, funnily enough, which caused mm. chaos in primary school. He came round and, as I mentioned before, it's the first time I ever drank a shandy. <laughs> Mm. I'm cracking one open now <laughs> in memory in memory of that fine night. It also reminds me of a time where 
I even remember when the adverts were on at this film and we were recording it on our VHS player from the TV and running up to pause it to avoid having adverts when I wanted to watch it again or running to the toilet and running back before the adverts are done because I didn't want to miss anything. And I think also like when I introduced myself, I'd like old kind of adventure films and child-friendly films in a way I did, we'll get into it, but this film was actually rated 15 for the BBFC, which um, yeah, yeah. I was very surprised to learn that because I do, I don't really remember it being that bad. You know, it's it's actually two minutes running time. That's why, that's why I wanted to choose it. It reminded me of this time of year, Halloween, it's monsters. And I'm glad that, as you said, uh, Gally, to me earlier, that you hadn't seen it for a while yourself. I genuinely couldn't remember this one. Uh, and so I said to you, didn't I? I think I would have been a child when mm. I saw it, similar age to you, probably. I'll be honest with you, no memory whatsoever of wow. the, the plot, the characters, anything. So going back and revisiting this film was basically like watching it new again. And one of the, the central questions that I'll probably ask throughout this episode is, why wasn't this film as highly regarded or as successful as, say, something... Like The Goonies, which it, there's clear comparisons to be made. Mm-hmm. The Goonies, everyone knows. I mean, if you went in a HMV when we were teenagers, you'd see the Truffle Shuffle t-shirts and all that kind of stuff. Why didn't the Monster Squad take off like The Goonies did? So Yeah, what... definitely. Had, had you seen this in recent years or is it something from your childhood as well? I've seen it once and it was a few years ago. Okay. I think it had come up in discussions or in a review or, or it was referenced somewhere and it just I found it odd that something that was kind of so far up my alley had, had sort of passed me by hmm. um but yeah I don't I don't really remember this uh from my childhood at all like I don't remember this being something that you know I I, I saw around or, or that friends had mentioned so yeah this is one that I I caught up on a few years back, but I don't remember it tremendously well. So um... fundamentally, this was a complete and utter box office flop, right? Yeah. Made for what twelve and a half million dollars, uh, something around that. Re- Rated in three and three and a bit. Three point eight return. Oh, yeah. I mean, that is tragic. And you know what else? When I was doing my research on it in the states, I think they pulled it from cinemas after two weeks. They did. Yeah. It, in the percentage drop week on week was. Oh, that is great. Yeah, it's, it's hard. It was at the right time of the decade, 1987. It, it's, it's like you said, it, it could have quite easily have been a Goonies. And it does have a cult following today. It does have people that uh, slowly that's built and not as big as, as some films, but it certainly does have a following and it is quite popular in some circles since I've been reading about it. Here's, here's a question for both of you. Here's a question. So we've already mentioned about the rating. So UK 15, so was that equivalent to an American PG-13? Well, I don't right? know whether it's an equivalent to, but... Did it get an R rating? So they're like 12, 13 years old? Uh, yeah, the, I mean, the, I the two main 13. kids are, are 12. As well, as is... Uh, yeah. yeah. They mention later on, we're 12 years old. And then mm-hmm. that, I think that's the, the older kids. Rudy's maybe supposed to be junior high. So what's that, like 14? He says junior high. Yeah, yeah. So who was this film for? Well... And maybe that maybe that is the reason why it didn't find its audience until it came out on VHS because kids didn't go to the cinema to see it because they couldn't, and adults didn't go and see it because they thought it was for kids. And that rating must have killed it. 
It must have. You know, the marketing of this film was very much, I think the one of the taglines is, you know who to call when you have ghosts, but who do you call when you have monsters? Well, Ghostbusters was a yeah. huge hit. Kids gravitated towards Ghostbusters, but a ghost gives Dan Aykroyd a blowjob. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, it's a, there's a mixture going on, right? It's not necessarily just a kid's well, film, those, those but figures. it found a happy medium between the two. Because I remember being scared of yeah. Ghostbusters when I saw it. I mean, I loved it. Well, that library scene at the very beginning sets the tone. Oh, yeah. So I went back and watched The Goonies this week because, again, I wanted to make some comparisons. Mm-hmm. And The Goonies isn't scary, but there's, the language is quite harsh. The kids are... You've got gangsters in it, haven't you? Who are... Yeah, you've got gangsters in it. You, people do die. I think there's a, there's a frozen body for whatever reason. And we'll, maybe we'll come to some sort of conclusion once we've reviewed the film. But, yeah, the Monster Squad on initial release just didn't find its audience. Looking at the return there as well and not finding its audience, it didn't even seem to find its audience from those who would have grown up with the Universal Monster movies in the 40s and 50s. You know, it doesn't even feel like people returned to see their favourite monsters when they were growing up. Mm. It didn't didn't do a good job of getting a new audience, didn't do a good job of reading in the old audiences. It is weird. This is like the quintessential cult thing. This was, I mean, the, I, yeah. the only reason I, I sort of, I think the reason I, I went back and watched it was that um, uh, Draft House, the Alamo Draft House in the States, the kind of independent cinema, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. they did a, a a run of shows of it. And then they're really good at, at unearthing these cult hits. I mean, we all watched uh, the Miami Connection, which was, oh, which was yes. one of theirs. And, <laughs> Obviously, this is a slightly different uh, different affair to the Miami connection, but it's it's similar in that they they you know they they they're going back and unearthing uh, things and kind of uniting people around it. One of the writers, or certainly gets a story credit, Shane Black. Mm, yeah, and this is the first Black and Decker combination. So we have Shane Black <laughs> doing the story, and we've got Fred Decker directing, and he's basically writer director on this. Yeah. Uh, best known for, well, depends, depends. Best known for, I would say, Night of the Creeps and mm-hmm. this. Or Robocop but 3. anyone who's seen Robocop 3. <laughs> 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 oh, man, I saw that on, uh, I rented that out at Blockbuster and I was bitterly, bitterly disappointed. <laughs> he hasn't had much, though, has he? Oh, De- Decker. Well, I think he basically went to direct to jail, Patrick, yeah. after Robocop. I think it was such a flop and. And 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 actually, think about it. Really, he he's gone from Monster Squad. Uh, I think he did a few episodes of Tales from yeah, the Crypt, yeah. and then really like big Hollywood fare. I mean, this is only twelve and a half million dollars, but he's still in the infancy of his career. And we we I don't know. I don't know whether the people that listen to the episodes that we do really take this for granted or not. But we tend to think of like directors as just keep going and going and going. But actually, you need to. You need to be profitable. It's like any other mm-hmm. business. So if you make two, three films that just completely bomb, that's what we call director jail. And I think that's where uh, Fred Decker went. And he's ended up just doing writing. Well, well do, we, do you think his career is going to kickstart again after you wrote The Predator? Not, not from what I watched, no. Shane Black's an interesting one because at the same time he's got a story credit on this, he's writing Lethal Weapon. Mm. And Lethal Weapon becomes a monster hit nice pun there i know i know i do that <laughs> uh, so maybe shane black and i would argue is probably focusing more on lethal weapon than he is on the monster squad and that's why i think this is probably more of a writer director piece for fred decker but i don't know it's interesting what do you think Devin? it sounds like a like a fun film 
to write like if if somebody set you a challenge of especially in that time playing around in the sandbox of some of the most recognizable horror icons of the 20th century and then turning them into a like a fun somewhat family adventure film yeah i can see why i I think it would be something that they would have written together everything i've read about it suggests that it was a a collaborative screenplay it's a quintessential high concept 80s film right i think the the line that they that they were sort of pushing out was the little rascals yeah fight the universal monsters really simple everyone understands what that means so, Patrick, can you give us a plot summary? Yes, of course. From the Monster Squad. As scary German guy tells us, good and evil are in constant flux back and forth. Only once every hundred years are these forces balanced. Van Helsing blew it a hundred years ago, and now Count Dracula, Frankenstein's monster, the creature from the Black Lagoon, the mummy, and Wolfman appear, looking for an amulet that will help them rule the world if they destroy it at midnight. Who's prepared to face them? The Monster Squad. Can they thwart Dracula and find the amulet and get a German-speaking virgin to speak the words required to open a vortex to brush evil from the world in time and discover the Wolfman has nards? Only time will tell. Very thorough. I like Very that. good. Very good. <laughs> yeah, I like that, man. I want to see Had that the Wolfman's nards in there somewhere, you know. Ah, you've got to get it in. They so wanted that to be on T-shirts. It is on T-shirts. Yes. You can also buy that Stephen King Rules t-shirt in a lot of places. Oh, man. Surely my name is Horace with a shotgun. Surely that's somewhere. Maybe. I'm definitely getting that Stephen King Rules. <laughs> yeah. That's, that t-shirt's very you when first, I don't know, freshest week of you. Kind of. <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of thing I would have worn. Same with uh, I, I survived on set with Cameron t-shirts and stuff like that. Oh, I'm such a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> so uh you mentioned it the opening crawl i i really like how um the crawl gives us a bit of backstory then we get to watch it but the line i think it already sets us up for quite a playful film when it says they blew it and uh, mm. talking about van helsing and his attempt uh, 100 years ago i was gonna say does that feel a bit princess bride to anyone yeah it but it sets up the tone well. it does set us up it does set us up you know what i thought would have made made it land a little better is it if it had actually been narrated? I, I was thinking about it, like when I was watching it. I was thinking, okay, this opening crawl, I, I, I 100% with you, Devlin, was going into Princess Bride territory. And I just thought, imagine, I know he narrated everything, but imagine if James Hill Jones narrated it. It'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> just, That's just me, though. Just bring him in I'm, for that. Yeah. Oh, forgive me. Yeah. Just, I, such, such a lovely. You wouldn't have had Dracula do it or. The scary German guy. No, no, I'd have got James Earl Jones to do it. It's 1987. So opening titles, I think, are fantastic. I really, I, well, honestly, yeah. I thought the music, I thought the, the slow pan, yeah. and then the, with, the, with the titles coming up in red, it really did. Even if you hadn't seen those classic monster movies of the 30s and 40s and even the 50s, um, it transports you back into that kind of time and place. I thought it was really great. What did you think? Yeah, the the, the red text is is awesome. That feels more um, Hammer, like yes, the yes, era yeah. Hammer. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we we sort of move into um, Dracula's layer, and it's great. And they've got um, the first time I saw it, it took me back. I was like, is that an armadillo? Shine <laughs> bar. Yeah, I, I also. Uh, is I is to, it an armadillo? <laughs> it's an armadillo. I had to check okay. it out, and uh, it's a reference to uh, the Bela Lugosi Dracula from 1931. 
because at first I was like, are they rats? And then I was like, wait a minute, that's an armadillo. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it was. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that was that was great. And I've got to talk about the transformation because some of the transformations in this film, I think, are wonderful. The way... Yeah, yeah. So, oh, oh, yeah. So we just to paint a picture. So we transported into sort of Dracula's lair uh, basement and we've got all these sort of crypts and yeah, we're, we're in, in Transylvania, Transylvania right? It's, uh, it's, it's great stuff. And we've got a puppet hanging, uh, a bat puppet hanging, which then cuts to <sighs> a hand with a wing span in between the fingers and then cuts to a close up of a hairy hand and then reveal of dracula i thought that was i thought it was great mm-hmm. and then the puppet puppet work is stan winston right this is a very good time to talk about the the late great stan winston yeah because i think he does some wicked stuff in this is he done he does all the monsters in this film is that right i don't know whether he did everything he was certainly part he did of the wolfman yeah. didn't he well his yeah. credit is monsters created by so that that's his oh. full credit on this i don't know exactly if he did everything but it certainly feels like Stan Winston was involved and you know he's just, he definitely brings some magic to the screen whether it's a small vampire bat or yeah like the bat I mean, in the opening bat. sequence it looks the amazing. bat looks great doesn't it yeah it's really and well lit and the, it's re- it's just awesome it's great to see the physical things when we're talking only about like CGI things uh, oh Casper you know like they've got all that CGI in Casper and then you watch something <laughs> physical like this it's... Well, you, the, you know, the best comparison to make when it comes down to monsters, practical versus CGI is, did you ever watch Van Helsing with you, huge, huge <laughs> action? <laughs> I mean, that was... Not not in its entirety, because... No, I couldn't watch yeah, it in its exhausting. entirety either, but the, the CGI effects, I mean, it just doesn't work. What was the, um, the vampire slash zombie thing with... Um... Will Smith and his dog. Oh, God. The I Am Legend. And as a sci-fi concept, that film's great, but the, the effects really do... Well, they, they just they kill it. Yeah, it does. It just kills it because yeah. he's, he is running away from really mm-hmm. badly rendered... I think that's why a lot of them are in the, in the dark and the shadows a lot of the time to try and hide that. Yeah. But but there's a, there's a scene at the end of that film, Patrick, where we get like a, a sort of close-up between the main zombie type creature and will smith and it's just it just takes you out of the whole yeah. film because mm. you, you just the uncanny valley effect is just so strong that you can't you can't buy into the the emotion of the scene it's, it's just yeah and i think decker constructs this really well i don't know you know the the i'm sure stan winston may have had a say in how to best show off his creations but i think it's mm. you're talking about it if we we're Saying Decker's not had a successful career, it's really well constructed. This opening. Oh no, this opening. This opening is really, really strong, and uh, and we we see our our Dracula played by Duncan Reher. I hope I pronounced that correctly. <laughs> Almost definitely not. Although I, I don't want to correct you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I'm steering, steering clear of that one. So I'll just go for Reher. Yeah. But uh, you know what's interesting is um, again just in the research on the film, uh, Liam Neeson went for the gig and he didn't get it. Yeah. Liam Neeson went for the gig. <laughs> I was, he didn't oh. get the gig. He wanted to do some improvisational comedy. <laughs> <laughs> he said, "Lists, I make lists all the time." It's probably why the cast is Oscar Schindler. <laughs> Uh, probably if the film wanted to 
find and find its audience in 2018. It would have been helpful <laughs> if it was Liam Neeson. But um, what do, what do we think of the what well, one? What do we think of the actor? And and two? What do we think of the costume design for Dracula? What do we think of the look? I would say costume design, great. Um, I gotta <laughs> say, I was not. I was not convinced. I wasn't convinced by him as as a Dracula. I am in certain parts. He's he's certainly acting, acting, and you know, delivering the lines with such quite a bit of gusto every now and then. But there's I yeah I, I didn't I didn't think we were going to talk about this till later. But I, I quite like what they do with his Dracula because it's we don't see him as a, a traditional Jack, Dracula away from where the the costume design is from and from the influx of the universal films this is a guy who will snap a neck and you throw dynamite at people and dynamite them. so much dynamite i i, I so much dynamite but i i'm and i'm i think he does that the actor does that quite well like a cold-hearted killer who's just on a mission i guess i just find that strange for 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 a dracula figure because kind of everything that um you sort of build up around it is that it's quite a, a mysterious sort of borderline mm-hmm. romantic figure it depends on the on the take you've got like um you've got the nosferatu like the herzog especially nosferatu take which is kind of tragic you've got uh gary oldman's take which is you know alternating between a uh, bloodthirsty monster and like tragic romantic hero um obviously this is like an ensemble family action comedy <laughs> so you don't really have time to wedge all this stuff in but but yeah, he's he's sort he's he's storming his way through there, and and she, doesn't he shoot some sort of weird? Oh, light I, I think he's actually called Nosferatu, isn't end. he, from the German guy? And he is some something at his chest, but just knocks him down. You, you want some kind of classic Dracula thing uh, uh, moment and kill, and we never really get that. We get a suggestion with some girls in a cupboard, but mm. the perfect moments on the plane. Mm. Yeah, on the plane. He's got two victims there, which you'd fully expect him to, I don't know, drink some blood and get some power because he's been away for so long. And it's... Yeah, yeah. drain the blood and leave the plane to crash while he sails out. And and we don't get that. And so it it is a very different take on Dracula. And like you said, he's maybe not given enough, really, because he's just... He never never hypnotizes anyone. and that's a real shame. <laughs> he just turns that's into a bat. Yeah, but thing. I mean, it is cool when he turns into a bat. Yeah. I, guess. <laughs> oh, yeah, I love it. Yeah. But you, you're, you're absolutely <laughs> right. And Devlin, you said before about playing in the sandbox. And this is where you've got these universal monsters, although uh, copyright would say that they don't have the actual universal monsters, just something that looks like it. <laughs> but no, either way, they've got, they've got what effect. we can recognize yeah. as Dracula and uh, Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> And Wolfman. Well, that's why Frankenstein's things are on his temple. Yes, indeed, uh, indeed. We'll, we'll get to Tom uh, Noonan. For that very reason. <laughs> <laughs> but, but they don't, yeah, the film itself, uh, they, I don't think, even like cheap gags, like them walking around and someone saying it isn't Halloween, buddy, or something like that. Even just like cheap, cheap gags, they don't even do that. Uh, they do feel slightly underused and a bit of a missed opportunity, really, when you've got this mm. fun 80s film with these kids running around and and actually the monsters really don't have a time to shine until the last 15 minutes so no it's all it's all sort of separated yeah have them in suburbia i don't know like a bill and ted thing like uh fish out of water (laughs) 
<laughs> well, should we get into when we first properly... In- uh, we've had the opening, Van Helsing's blown it, and then we straight into school to meet Sean and Patrick, which is a great name for a character, mm. may I say? I thought you might say that. And then a really, really weird headmaster. You see, sir, we kind of have this monster club, okay? And we draw those pictures to put on our clubhouse walls. Correction, Mr. Crenshaw. You draw pictures during Mrs. Carlson's science class when you are supposed to be paying attention. Wait, I just want to say one thing. I mean, Miss Carlson's a nice teacher and all, but she's boring and has an odd-shaped head. That's why Sean and the guys call me Omix, because her head's shaped like a cat head. But I don't, sir, because how rude. Is he a headmaster or is he like a counselor? I didn't really know what he was. Yeah. I mean, they don't really. It's not really that important. He's a he's an authority figure. I, I assumed. I assumed print. Like, this is uh, office, so right? uh, yeah, I, I'd assume so. But the uh, the kids, I, I I like them straight away. They've got good patter. Do you know what I mean? It feels natural. Their dialogue feels natural. I think the kids are doing well. Mm. Um, I will say that one feels stronger than the other. So our main our main kid, Sean. Feels sure. like the stronger actor out of the two child actors. I wrote down, right, I don't know if you did this, guys, but I wrote down basically what their function is in the plot because I was sort of like, right, which one is this? Yeah. Because we are in a story that is filled with stereotypes, archetypes, you name it, this film's got it. And I think, and this is me just extrapolating because we've got Shane Black and we've got Fred Decker, I think they were trying to play with them but this is where I think a lot of stuff's on the cutting room floor because in the end, Sean is our leader and he's a nerd and he's wearing a great Stephen King t-shirt. Patrick is just the best friend and his sister's the hot girl. That's it. He doesn't, their dynamic doesn't, they never really set it up. Do you know what I mean? Like every kid should bring something to the party. I guess he was supposed to be the kind of wacky, comic relief it, wacky though it's not there's not you know, much wackiness from him nah he's, he's not wacky but i mean that, that to me that would be yeah you've got the motor mouth best friend i'm thinking like the kids from it so he would be um uh what do they call him trash mouth yeah yeah maybe richie i, I think it came out a year after didn't it so maybe yeah so you know he's the um in the in the scene in the office he's just sort of chattering away talking about teachers whose heads look like cats and stuff you need your, your lead character needs somebody to bounce off so yeah he's he's the best yeah. friend he's, he supports him second he likes monsters and he has a sister the next scene they're just walking down the corridors oh it gets a little bit uncomfortable god can you believe mr metzger tell me about it touching me patting my shoulders and stuff they go fully homoing out i smell like the forest. i mean when they send you to school what they tell you about the homos and the people with cat heads oh <laughs> It's all context, isn't it? Of the time, this this was a different time. Yeah. And now, you just you, you wouldn't get it unless maybe you were making a film, a period piece. But now, you just don't really get that kind of dialogue without uh, consequences, without thoughts on what they're saying. Well, it's it's weird that this is uh, this is the scene where our two characters are sort of bantering mm. away. This is you know this is where you establish your audience rapport with your lead characters. Uh, for me, as like coming to this film later retroactively, it's it's a it's a bit of a hurdle, is it? Like, mm. it's it's a weird one to have to 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 be confronted with so early mm-hmm. in the film. You really don't expect it. I'm not I'm not entirely sure how common that would have been even at the no. time. 
like to have kids. Oh, I don't know, Devlin. I mean, we'll get into the. I know the there's. Next... I know there's a lot of of terrible homophobic jokes through scattered throughout basically the entire of 1980s cinema, but um, just in terms of like. It's sort of apropos of nothing. But it's the writers. It's, yeah, the writers mm. are writing this dialogue to, yeah. to have some sort yeah. of... To be yeah, because the stuff with, you know, when they bump into the teacher and they start talking about how, you know, the cat had yeah. some priest married him, you know, that felt... That was more like a joke. Yeah. But the, the homo slur just seems like a bit of a random line that didn't... It wasn't... I don't know. If it was meant to be funny, it certainly didn't land. Yeah. But there's, there's quite a few bits of dialogue in this film that I think you'll agree that don't quite work. And um, whether it's a, a one-liner... And also a lot of plot yeah. points, which haven't, which haven't aged yeah. super well. Well, we may, we may as well get it to it. So we cut from the, the, the kids moving, uh, walking down the, the corridor, and then we're introduced to... Horace, I'm going to call him Horace, but he is known for the majority of the film as Fat Kid. And this is where I think Fred Decker and Shane Black are trying to play with the stereotypes. But what they end up doing in this film with the way it's been cut is that those stereotypes just reaffirm the stereotypes. Do you know what I mean? I think that they maybe tried were trying to do something with it because The Goonies has already been out and we have uh, Chunk who is called Chunk, and that seems acceptable. But then Horace mm-hmm. is called Fat Kid, which is like blunt, harsh. Yeah, yeah th- th- this is the kid. problem with it that I so had it's, is it's all well a bully saying it. And then what I, what I think is quite a, a nicely, again, another quite nicely constructed scene in introducing Rudy. But anyway, but then for his mates to call him, you know, he, he um, bumps into them on the pavement and Sean says, oh, Fat Kid. And it's it's not the same yeah. affectionate term as chunk. So we've quickly established well, he's doing the truffle shuffle because they're his mates, really, and they're just playing with him. Whereas this is bullying, and the fat kid bullying is... is I can get away with the bullies calling him that, but when it, I think it's sloppy that Sean would call him fat kid. Well, it's even what... Um, it's the lead-in line, isn't it? It's like, that's the, the cut line. Patrick says, mm. where's fat kid? And that's and that's the, it the intro to the next. It's scene. not like mm. Goonies is the perfect example. It's not it's not right for it. It doesn't it doesn't make the bullies any worse in a, in a way because it. I don't know. It's it's inconsistent in how the that power play works. Just to, again, just to sort of set the scene. So Horace has ran into these two bullies. They do a terrible sort of job of bullying him, really. But then they <laughs> use the F word. They call him. An F word, which rhymes which, with so in maggots, the context yeah. of uh, of this film, which rhymes with maggot. Yeah, I don't want to say it because that word's now like you know, it's like cuts like glass. But um, but yeah, it's weird because in the UK, it's a meatball. I think Devlin, you had a you had a weird history. It's a, of, it's a bundle of, the, of sticks. It's a bundle <laughs> of sticks. Um, so, there is a uh, uh, a very um, informative and oddly bleak and depressing uh uh scene in a, an episode of louis which obviously is going to be much more difficult for you to now go back and watch because you know louis problematic <laughs> but um there's there's a an episode of that where there's a bunch of comedians sitting around in a in a room playing poker and they're talking about um making homophobic jokes uh, and using words like this in their mm-hmm. act but not themselves feeling. And there's a, a gay comedian who uh, tells Louis the history of the word. 
and that he said it's um it used to be a bundle of sticks uh when they used to burn uh witches during the uh the salem witch trials um so uh that bundle of sticks that they use is is basically it's kindling it's a a synonym for kindling and what that would mean is that they would when burning witches they would basically throw homosexual people onto the fire as well okay wow uh, obscure um i mean i didn't know that yeah and what's weird is because the the shorter version of that just me in the uk it means a cigarette so yeah or or it did i mean no one i don't think many people refer to it now but it's just strange isn't it how in the us it was it was this homophobic slur and in the uk it meant meatballs and having a cigarette so it's just quite strange but this this film is not the worst culprit for the use of this term uh have you seen teen wolf recently no not not to no. remember that line omg yeah there's a scene with martin sheen and martin sheen jesus yeah no it's not martin sheen with oh um, my god i was just thinking <laughs> i should yeah, watch that again the wrong teen wolf. <laughs> uh with my oh, i've had too much drink to drink uh with michael j fox and yeah there's where it, they play it as if he's coming out when actually he just wants to tell uh explain oh. how he's a werewolf oh man it's grim it's grim Sounds so like uh, but anyway here's a here's a question for you then so these are all within the first 10 minutes of the film we know that they're problematic is this for people that have not seen the film would this be the kind of stumbling block that maybe they couldn't get past or are we going to just suggest that this is through the lens of 1987 we've moved on as a society i'm going to suggest that that it's yeah. a, a time thing and this isn't necessarily the viewpoint of the filmmakers no no i i don't i it may be them trying to write younger than they actually are and trying to i don't know do some high school slang hmm. in there it would it would be really um hard to say and and the thing especially with going back the way we're going back and looking at these films now and and we're bringing we can only really bring the perspective we have now to it and we can only bring our own perspective as well um yeah it certainly wouldn't wouldn't surprise me if somebody just thought i'm not really gonna sit through the next 75 80 minutes of this it's uh might not be for me um i don't think that there's you know anything wrong with with somebody mm-hmm. maybe finding this a uh, uh, a step too far what about Rudy's entrance then? Yeah, Rudy's entrance. So Rudy, what do we think of Rudy? He comes in. He's he's essentially a fifties greaser. Yeah, uh, feels a bit like the Fonz. And uh, I do like I do like that like back wheel of his chopper skidding into shot. I yeah, like it's, it. it's it's a cool in, in, entrance for Rudy. So so Horace is being bullied, and Rudy just comes in, and and basically like he's the tough kid, I guess, the tough cool kid. And mm. the bullies just turn and they're like, oh, hey, Rudy. And Rudy's older as well. Yeah, he's older. And Rudy just says, EJ, see you met my friend Horace. You okay? Rudy, I... <sighs> you dropped your candy bar, EJ. It's his. It's yours now. Rudy. Eat. Rudy, I'm not going to see Eat you. up. And we'll call it a day. Leave my friend alone. Eat that Snickers. 
that they stamped on the floor that Horace was eating, and it's a Snickers, by the way. We'll get into the product placement in this film. I think it's, I think it's just the eighties in it. The eighties just love a bit of product placement. Well, there's, placement. there's, you know, there's only two very, 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 very prominent ones I can think of. Yeah, it's pretty egregious, but it's, um, it's fun to put. It's point to point out. It's like an Adam Sandler um, film. It is, yeah, it really is. I don't think they got the tax breaks though. And uh, here's here's a question for you about Rudy though. So he's portrayed as this sort of fifties greaser cool kid he's smoking you know he's doing all these yeah. rebellious he things. lights his match on the heel of his shoe <laughs> yeah, cool, he, he is he is marlon brando and he's rebel without a cause no yeah. Doubt. Yeah. why does he want to join the monster squad wow. you, you, patrick you took the words out of my mouth I mean, same, as, his most- same as fonzie how cool could fonzie be if he just wanted to hang out at the <laughs> stupid diner with Richie and Ralph Melf and those other <laughs> no mark jerks. <laughs> you reckon that's what it was, Dev? That's how um, I saw it, actually. Um, is yeah, that how yeah. you saw it, Patrick? I, 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 I had an issue. And with we don't it. need explanation of why he's friends with Horace. Yeah, just he is, and that. he's looking after his mates, which makes him a likable character straight away. And what I do like about that scene is, like you, we, we did touch upon this, Gally, yourself, that. The setup here and the bullying is usually that would lead to maybe a little bit more bullying. And then at the end of the film is Horace gets his comeuppance to the bullies. However, yeah. I like the dynamic in this, that Rudy's there to help him. And it sets up that, you know, he, he's, he's there for his mates. He, he's, you know, he, he likes Horace. I, I don't really care why. It just it's cool because he helps mm. him. And the bullies get the comeuppance immediately. I think it would have been more compelling, more engaging if if maybe we portrayed him as this tough kid that was a bit of a bit of a so they're all the, the whole conceit of this group is that they're essentially like not losers because they they're not portrayed as losers but they're well, kind of, if, if, you to, if you want to use the um the, you get the, a load it, of the, nerd? Uh, the the it reference they are kind Pardon of me? The, the losers club same thing right yeah but yeah, why would have been stronger for rudy's character to just give him some character outside of just being the tough, cool kid who then goes on later on to the film to uh, acquire all the weaponry and mm-hmm. and get the cool lines later on is maybe if he was some the the tough kid who was a bit of a loner and actually just wanted to find people that he could be friends with because we don't get that and again I'm wondering is there stuff on the cutting room floor mm-hmm. I'm going to suggest there is because otherwise it just feels like there's connective tissue between these scenes that that's missing. You do like him, right? I do, but I do like him. It's that mullet and <laughs> and that bike, and like you said, it's the. I've always tried to do the matchstick off the trousers. <laughs> off the trousers, that's <laughs> where you were going wrong. <laughs> off your crotch, golly. <laughs> no, if you get like a, a, a dry enough denim, you know you'll, uh, you'll be able to do it off the crotch. What are you talking? Maybe you zip. But... <laughs> I'm just imagining you just trying imagine to practice you. this now. Yeah. Just in, in the middle Frustrated. of George, George Square. <laughs> just just grinding old box of matches on your crotch. <laughs> Up here in Glasgow, that would just be classed as very normal. Outside of Greg's. Yeah, outside, yeah definitely outside of Greg's. The state baker man. And then we get introduced to another character and one of the strongest characters, in my view, of the film. Phoebe the Phoebe. That's a, that's a that's a slur, isn't it? Phoebe. <laughs> yeah, it is, a, but it's a playful one. Don't yeah, get it's a playful one. And again. she's the little sister, and she's adorable. The 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 child actor's great. She's really good. Mm. I like her. You guys, 
watching us. Oh, Gary Truman guy. Sean, he gives me the creeps. Uh, he's just a dude on welfare. Maybe he's the German spy. Oh, good one. We're not in a war with Germany anymore. One war with Vietnam. What? It's in Rambo. You guys missed oh. it! Oh, okay. Rudy saved my life. Do you think we could talk him into joining the monster club? Can we? How do Sean, he's in junior high. I heard he told Dad. Get out of here, Phoebe the Phoebe. Okay, you guys. We should let him in on one condition. Monster, monster test. test. We've talked about um, a couple of precedents for the film. Uh, Goonies, mm. especially, being the main one. I feel like a lot of this uh, trickled down and later influenced um, Hocus Pocus. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's a very good... Yeah, you've got, I, uh, uh, you've got me there. you got the, the bullies, you know. I mean, every great 80s slash early 90s film had a, a pair of dim-witted bullies, but, uh, you know, they're exactly like like this guy. You've got the, the older brother being saddled with the, the little sister. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the, the weird fixation on the word virgin. Mm. Although it's a, it's a fun inversion in Hocus Pocus when it turns out that Omri Katz... <laughs> Is actually the virgin that lights the candle. <laughs> yeah, I think that's quite good. I hadn't made that connection at all, Hocus Pocus. But no, no, no. So many parallels. That, yeah. yeah. I'm very, uh, very apt this time of year, Devlin. Of course, this yeah. is your time of year. Or yeah, be? he's the man, isn't he? He is the man. I, I rewatched it yesterday. <laughs> but we get, a, uh, we get a screen wipe, and we've got two pilots who are flying a, and they, they call it out, I think I know why it's a World War II plane, mm-hmm. but they say I'm piloting this World War II plane carrying these <laughs> bodies and all sorts of crazy stuff. No real explanation, but I think 12 minutes into the film, this is the scene where if you go with this, then you can go with the rest of the film. And if yeah. it's going to be a problem for you, you may as well check out now because you're not going to get any explanation for why no, it's, it's uh, just... they are transporting Frankenstein's <laughs> monster's uh, corpse and the film you know ain't going to give you any either. We've had quite a lot happen in 12 minutes as well. Setting up. Well, this film's in a, it feels like it's in a real rush, Patrick. Yeah. And uh, when I did my research, the one of the producers, Peter, Peter Hyams, mm-hmm. uh, I can never say that right, Jean-Claude Van Damme, man. He did a okay. killer. Uh, yeah, yeah, he did very well, yeah. He, he's producing this, and one of the things that Fred Decker said uh, in, in interviews was that they were adamant the film come under 90 minutes, which is strange, because then when I did my research and I checked out the average running time of 80s films, they were, in it, they were coming in at about uh, sort of 105 minutes average. Mm-hmm. So mm. it seems strange that they were so adamant that it would what's be the, under 90 um, minutes. What's the running time of Time Cup? <laughs> I'm, that, suggest I'm looking it up right now 87 minutes <laughs> time cup running time <laughs> one hour thir- one hour 39 sloppy he was slipping in his old age yeah well there's a lot to fit in there you know yeah that's true but yeah so um so i think that's that explains patrick this breakneck speed that this film's gonna yeah, yeah. go through its plot and also like you said it, i think it explains why there are certainly bits where you know things are cut. So they're on this plane. Uh, one of the guys, and you might recognize him from The Sopranos. Uh, he, was, yeah. he was in that for like seven years. I can't remember the character's name, but he was great in The Sopranos. He was banging Tony Soprano's sister. 
with the gun to her head. I think it's Tony Tony April. I think April. Yes, that's it. Yeah, that's it's it. April, isn't it? Yeah. Richie, right, no, Richie it? April. Richie April. That's the one. I never really uh, watched a lot of um, Sopranos, but I know this guy's face so well. I think it's because he really reminds me of Alan Arkin. And these these pilots are having a bit of a back and forth, and then he just goes back and. And this is great. They hear right? a bang. They hear a bang. They hear a bang. They hear a bang. And there's a little bat on a box. Well, it doesn't look like a bat. It looks like a rat. <laughs> but when it flies towards the camera, it kind of shit me up the first time I saw it uh, earlier this week. I was like, ah, there's a bat. And it's a great, again, it's another really good reveal. And I'm going to give Fred Decker loads oh, of credit. It's great. Yeah, it's great. He, he manages to be really creative and not show you the same trick twice. Pilot sort of bends down to see what what was on the floor, and then as he comes up, the reveal of Dracula in the background. He just sort of gives him a, a backhand slap. Oh, like the... <laughs> oh God, it's so swift. It's a swift backhand, it. But clearly, Dracula has got some fixation with one of the crates. I think he's been taking punching lessons from uh, from Tom Atkins, Devlin. Yeah, yeah, well, he does exactly. But do we see so that? You said Tom Atkins, so I'm immediately intrigued. Yeah, no, your ears just peered, all right. Up. Um, but, but yeah, no, we... you see the you see the wording on the side. Oh, you do, don't you? Because it says Frankenstein, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, and then the the pilot, seeing that Dracula's in a perfect position in this old World War Two plane, mm-hmm. uh, pulls a lever, which opens up, uh, opens up a, a sort of these panels below, and then we get this great. Dracula floating, and it's great, and it's a nice little animation. Yeah. Again, a different different effect for a different transformation, something new as he transforms into a bat and flies away. I think it's great. Mm-hmm. So do I. I. I do still think it's a, a lost opportunity to. No, kill no the pilots. I, yeah, I, and I think there's there. Are, we've already talked about it, haven't we? Dracula doesn't yeah. really do a whole lot until the end, and and really they should have got they should have done. <laughs> should have had him should have had that um you know fish out of water stuff or done something with him either make him more of a threat or play it for play it for laughs but they do neither until till the end which is a shame so at this point now we're in the treehouse rudy's been looking at the tits and arse and we're introduced <laughs> to the rest of the gang right so we've got uh we've got horace is there rudy's there sean Patrick, and then we have Eugene and Pete. Mm. Eugene is like the little kid, and Pete is his dog. And this is very much the little ris- the little rascals, right? How's a dog um, get up here anyway? That's yeah, a, you know they line. call that they out. Know. They call out. I, I like the dog, and the dog has um, a couple of moments in the film, and I wish he had more. Yeah. But um, what what little he does do is great. Um, I feel bad for Eugene because he he doesn't really get any introduction, nor is he really. He he's definitely suffering from editing. When you have group dynamics like this, and you have interplay between all these different kids, and they're essentially stereotypes, archetypes of gang like groups of kids. So we have Horace, who's the fat kid. We've got Sean, who's the nerdy leader. We've got Patrick, who's like the wisecracking best mate. We've got Rudy, the tough, cool kid. They've all got their own mm. traits. If I'm going to ding this film for anything, is that Decker. And the editing and whatever theatrical director's cut, whatever, does not establish this. So even though we have this group that we're all wanting to be a part of, the characters aren't really fully. They're not. It's, they don't need to be fleshed out, but they need to bring something yeah. to the party. And Eugene, unfortunately, apart from Pete, 
doesn't really bring all that much, right? No, I mean, he, he barely seems to be able to phrase a sentence. I do like the test they give Rudy, and I do like the way that the it's set up uh, for the mm. Wolfman, right? When they're talking about how do you kill a Wolfman, and they're like, there's two ways. What's the other way? I'm a werewolf. Silver bullet. And? That's it. Shoot him with a silver bullet. Nope. Sorry, Rudy. <laughs> okay, so what's the other way? What? Second way to kill a werewolf. Um... Car crash? Accident with power tools? Old age? Falling out the window? Onto a bomb? Sean, baby, dinner. Oops, gotta go. There's, <laughs> there's, there's other good it's dialogue. Great. Like, don't they talk about can a wolfman drive a car? And... Yeah, I really like all that. Oh, and when they're talking about um, that, you know, of course he can. He wears he wears pants. It's like, <laughs> of course he wears pants. Those films were made in the forties. Yeah, that's good. We have our first. Huge, huge uh, plot contrivance. I can go with it, but it is it feels like lazy writing to me. So Sean comes into the house. He's just been called in by his mother. His mother, who's played by the same actress who's in The Goonies. So we keep making the comparison, but hey, the filmmakers want to want to draw it in as well. Um, and she's, <laughs> well, Patrick, you wanted to get into it. So should we get into it now? Uh, the mother in this film is pretty thankless role she's forever wearing an apron (laughs) and she's a complete and utter nag to the husband and we the way that the film has been shot and the way that it's framed is that we're kind of on his side yeah and that feels a little bit unfair and it's just it feels like 80s embedded values that don't again it's just how women get get written well not just how women get written but also let's look at the the writers themselves, you know, they're young. And, it, and it's a males. very boisterous I think Shane film. Black was it's, like 27. Yeah, so it's a boys' yeah. film, right? Like, again, like I said, with, but, with the but, exception of Phoebe, really. But then you could argue she's a tomboy uh, to a yeah. certain degree. And... She's only allowed in the club because mm-hmm. she, you know, is brave enough to, to go and stand with the Frankenstein's monster when he yeah, turns up. Yeah. We're dinging the writers for not doing a great job with female characters, but Shane Black goes on. To write complex he, he does. female he characters in Kiss Kiss Bam Bang and uh, in the Nice Guys, so it's not like it's I, I guess um, that he, you could say never done playing with with some uh, some outmoded but uh, outmoded tropes that he acknowledges as being outmoded, but as 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 good a character as um, uh, Michelle Monaghan is, there's you know, we're still playing with a lot of the archetypes from like old nineteen forties, nineteen fifties stuff. Yeah, but but even even in something like the Last Action Hero, yeah. where the mother in that she's she's more than just yeah. the mum. She's there's more. She's there's more to it. Layered, she's, she's at least, yeah, that's true. This is boys writing a boys' <laughs> yeah. adventure. The female characters have been sacrificed in that respect. Something that was cut from it again. Get more cuts from it that I read about was they had an original, I think they shot it as well. The original introduction to her, she had a bags packed ready to leave the, the father. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, I wanted to highlight the, um, the, the, the plot contrivance that really does fall under the radar, which is how Van Helsing's uh, book manages so to get into Sean's God, possession. yeah, where the so, hell is his, his mum just yeah. bought it at the car boot sale, which... Uh, if you've well, I think they call it yeah. a garage sale, don't they, in the states? But if you've ever been to a car boot sale, and I've been to many in Stoke-on-Trent, 
You ain't finding Van Helsing. They, um, they pulled it out of the uh, the the spooky the spooky house, the second spooky house, not the German guy's house that we haven't seen. The second spooky house. Yeah, spooky house that's not established ever. And I, I was like, are we in Germany? Are we in Chelsea? This is what I do like about the plot, though, in a way, in which you said earlier, you get on board or you stop watching. And I got on board because we start the film with Transylvania, and then all the monsters converge on this place (laughs) in America. Just (laughs) we don't even know where it is, and it's proper random that they all turn up, and that Van Helsing's diaries come from Transylvania to here and. And the plane just so happened to be flying over. The, oh, it's, yeah. it's amazing. We see the the father and Sean. They get a, a nice bit of to and throw. Devlin, you're the you're the horror guy. So their little conversation, uh, they got to be slagging oh, yeah. off Friday the Thirteenth, yeah, totally. right? I mean, I mean that's what that's what, that's what he's. Yeah. I mean, he's called it Groundhog this Day. Is, it's this, is the, Bill Murray. this is uh, the thing because you know, <laughs> of course, that joke now doesn't land at all because there is now a very very famous film. <laughs> called Groundhog Day, but yeah, because, you know, there's there's that rush of stuff in, in the, the wake of, of Friday the 13th. You have a slasher horror film for every recognizable day in the calendar. There's uh, April Fool's Day, which is mm-hmm. um, an odd one. April Fool's Day is a, like a supposedly American teen slasher film that's uh, shot in England, so has an English cast all pretending to be americans it's great oh man i, I, I recommend it great. i recommend it very highly i can we can we watch that oh i'm gonna come down I next think... month we're gonna have to watch that that sounds it's, great it's, it's cool. I really want to see um, that. so you've got that uh I, there's a couple of films called mother's day um mm-hmm. there's uh there's, know, my buddy yeah. valentine and then later the the great david boreanaz movie valentine <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah he cries doesn't he <laughs> he gets a nosebleed <laughs> when he murders people yeah and the way they talk about oh didn't didn't he die in the last one yeah you know of course but he's back from the grave oh no they always they, like, come part, back that happened in part seven yeah. that was yeah it's cool there's again there's some nice little traditional things going on when he has the moment with his dad on the balcony i'll call it oh on the roof Oh yeah, later on, the... yeah. That's I mean that's like a Spielbergian mm. scene. It's the first time you've you've said Spielberg. I doubt it'll be the last. There's uh mm. that kind of not so much Spielberg's own films, but certainly the kind of Amblin banner of nineteen eighty mm-hmm. stuff hangs very heavy over this and It does. It does. Um but what I would what I would say is None of the sentimentality, none yeah. of the heart. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, no, heart is. It's, it sounds like such a, a a wishy-washy term, but this film doesn't really no. hit it. No, you don't. Know, like the the domestic scenes, know. they don't have the sort of ring of uh, of truth to them that you'd have in uh, ET, or especially mm-hmm. like Close Encounters. Especially Close no, Encounters. No. Yeah, I agree with that. Not that it's going for the same thing as that, but no, I don't think it, I don't think it is. But but it's but yeah. it's there. You can tell or it's even, there. Um, even even Poltergeist. That... I'm, I guess maybe I was thinking Poltergeist yeah, just yeah, because yeah. of how much that guy looks like Craig T. Nelson. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the way they they sketch those families. But, even, and... but do you think though that this is where? And again, the plot's not quite got there from what we're talking about, but. 
they do try and influx some sympathy uh, with a character who's famously sympathetic from the books, which Frankenstein's monster, hmm. uh, which you guys have spoken about in a previous episode, because <laughs> the, 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 this is where they try and get the empathy and the, and the, the feels is with Phoebe and Frankenstein's yeah. monster. And they go, they go so heavy on it. So heavy. They so go heavy. heavy. Yeah. Too, too heavy. It's, it's all, it, I am the king of being manipulated, <laughs> uh, but even even I was like, yeah. um, back it's, a bit. Let's dr- but it's, it's not quite. It doesn't quite reach. And again, we go. I'm going back to Goonies again, but with my notes writing about how the, the Frankenstein's monster and Phoebe are kind of like chunk and sloth yeah. from Goonies, and yeah, that's it, a good point. That that's a comparative relationship that I have for this, and it's far better, and the payoffs works better in Goonies. But I think that and that that really does lie at the doorstep of the director, in my opinion, mm. especially because Fred Decker wrote mm-hmm. and directed this. But Richard Donner has got he's got the sensibilities to to be able to create that relationship and, and have you believe in it. And, and at the end, it feel like this almost almost like a love story between Chunk and, and Sloth, whereas the relationship between Phoebe and Frankenstein Simply, the film doesn't allow us to engage with it because it doesn't no, give it enough time nice to breathe. Yeah, like the I holding mean, without, of the hand you know, is nice. There's, there's some lovely little moments, but um, and we'll get into it because uh, I'll make a confession later on in, <laughs> in the film. But, <laughs> okay. but yeah, uh, I, I'm I'm not sure that Fred Decker's got the sensibilities to to mm-hmm. nail that. Mm-hmm. And if he did, it's on the cutting room floor again. Well, yeah, I mean, you've got to leave so. these things a little bit of space. To, to breathe. Now, Patrick, I didn't know if you recognised the chap <laughs> who played the Wolfman. Do you recognise him? I did. No, no. <laughs> John Greels? Does that not ring a bell? And I completely, I'm, I'm at a loss. What if I could, uh, yeah. It's Uncle Rico was, from Napoleon Dynamite. Um, what if the Wolfman <laughs> can throw a pigskin a quarter mile? <laughs> what, what, what you bet I can clear them there mountains? Oh, God, if I could go back, you bet. Would have been Super Bowl, no, no doubt. <laughs> oh my God, are you kidding me? Do you know why I missed it? It's because on IMDb, it's just called Desperate Man. He's not called, of course, he wouldn't. It's the universal copyright. Damn it. Oh, so, That's um, why so I he's, He doesn't play the wolf part of the Wolfman. No, 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 no. No, he doesn't. Yeah. No. So, yeah, the, he, the, the wolf would have been credited to someone else. And I'm a werewolf. Take it easy. Werewolf, you don't understand. You gotta lock me up. You gotta put me in a cage. How long has he been the wolf, Matt? How long has he been a werewolf? Where did he come from? Has he been... Did he just turn it because it's 100 years and it's a cycle? We we have no idea. You were saying, Gally, about the um, the kind of proto-lethal uh, weapon banter between the two cops. Like, that's a strange... <laughs> when you think about who this is all aiming at, it's surly cop, comedy cop, chatting away, and it looks yeah. like a proper, you know, cop movie. It's in a proper cop movie set. They're all rumpled yeah. and shit. And how the audience for that scene is the same as the audience for the fat kid farted in the clubhouse scene. It's it becomes really weird to to think where they were aiming it. Sure, his detective. When we now get introduced to another character, um, which is the two thousand year old mummy escaped from yeah. the museum. 
he he's yep. I mean he's bouncing off the walls, mm-hmm. Stan Shaw. Yeah, yeah. When he's yeah. when he's talking to the security guard. And like I feel like he's got no direction. I think he's just is it his interpretation of the script? And... You telling me there was this two thousand year old mummy here, right? Yes, sir. Uh, but now he's not here, he's gone. Just... And you're saying you didn't hear anybody come in here or leave, is that right? Can you hear me now? Hello? I can hear you fine. So nobody took the money. I would have heard them. Of course he would have. What a stupid question. Did you take him? No, sir. Just a shot. That's it, Bill. This case is too hard, man. Let's be firemen instead. I'm glad you're getting major laughs out of this, Rich. See, remind you uh, a little bit of another partner to a, a, a cop in a movie that we all watched together maybe last year. <laughs> Maybe Samurai Cop's partner. (laughs) Unfortunately, there's no still shot of him just reacting to nothing (laughs) over and over and over again. Oh, I wish there was. I'm going to get rid rid of this gift. I think the mummy looks great. I think they do a really good job. It feels right. And again, even if you've never seen those old classic Universal monster films, um, they're yeah, kind of permeated that's... in pop culture that you kind of recognize. That is to be fair, what, what they did the a great job without, which is um, making the monsters like, like the, the kind of pop culture icon version. If you had to picture a, a, a vampire, I would say that 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 dude looks pretty much like how you'd picture a vampire. There's a cape. He's got mm-hmm. a big collar. He's got the kind of widow's peak hair. Man, we haven't actually talked about the Wolfman's uh, makeup. What do we think of the Again, Wolfman? Again, it's a classic, classic look like... for him. You know, the ripped shirt and jeans. and the... You line him up, that's the Wolfman. When you see the creature in the Black Lagoon, it's a classic look. It's. It, I don't think they've tampered with it too much, despite the copyright problems they obviously did have in the film. And they look cool. I think Stan Winston's yeah, to, I, I, to I thank did... for that again. Yeah, I, I didn't mind the Wolfman at all. Uh, the the actor or the the actor who's doing the physical movement, I think he could have done a bit of maybe a better job. But I do wonder because he's wearing a, I think he must be wearing a robotic. It's yeah, head. it's it's a full. It's program. almost a little bit too big for his body, and that's what yeah. makes it look slightly unnatural. Do you know as far the, as the um, design? The, I thought it looked great. Do you notice the the heavy breathing thing, which I quite liked? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's like a full the full torso breathing kind of rocking backwards and forwards. Yeah. Whenever he's never standing still, he's always kind of... Yeah, he's heaving, uh, isn't he? I much prefer to see the physical special effects as opposed to this being CGI. I'm sure if they did it in CGI now, it would look great, but I'm that uncanny valley I can never really get beyond. We're not, I'm not, we're not quite there yet. No. And, uh, so I don't mind someone wearing an actual made-up full... Mm-hmm. Well, the problem with... The problem with doing it CGI is that uh, it allows you to not have to think around how to do. Th- like we were saying that the I think my favorite transformation in the in the whole film is the one you mentioned from the opening scene with um, uh, Dracula transitioning from a in was it four, from a bat. four cuts? Yeah. So you've got a robotic yes, within four cuts. Yeah, robotic bat. You've got a hand with the uh, with the the wing. Then you've got just like a hairy hand slapping the ceiling, and then he's transitioned into a full human. 
like <clears throat> that's kind of cool the way you have to think around the problem that... the way you have to use not just effects but also just basic tricks of sound design and editing to get around but you're it. also leaving it to the audience's imagination yeah. which is going to be far more powerful than yeah. anything that you can really show them so they do a... why not stick with they that? do a cool job with um the wolfman in the phone box as well yeah that's yeah, a good one so yeah. it is a good one there's a nice depth of feel to his back when it's arching and it's hairy and it's simple cuts mm. it tells a story it's edited really well and constructed very well and again i have to wonder did stan winston help with that you know with the design of it and with decker and guide him because we all... it's quick too they didn't linger on it too much and what's great is you know when he leaves that phone box mm. they make that just really fast and really brutal yeah just smashing through the door and that's then, really and then cool off. when all the monsters are converged we have one more to talk about the gill man or the creature yeah. the creature from the black lagoon um what do we think of what do we think of him and his little cod eyes what do we think <laughs> well the, the eyes are a bit still yeah oh they, they were in the they were in the in the old movie as well yeah i guess but i guess it's an odd one because it's always been a bit of an outlier in that group there's not really much of a character to the creature He's the outlier in this film as well yeah nothing so he, he turns, he turns <laughs> very, up very uh, he throws a box out of a lake <laughs> he steals a twinkie and he turns up out of a sewer and walks it? really slowly. Yeah, no. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, he, again, a missed opportunity. Like I, I think with all the monsters, and we'll we'll only probably mention this again. But one of the things that I thought, if you were to rewrite this film, you would increase the threat of them. So even though we're in a horror comedy genre, the kids don't feel downtrodden enough, and the monsters don't feel powerful enough. So when they yeah. meet at the end, you could you could make an argument that it's not quite as satisfying as it should because they don't it doesn't feel like they were ever really in danger of of losing the the battle do you know what i mean like we said we've already said that dracula doesn't bite any necks the gill man or the creature in the black lagoon he, why didn't he just take out a fisherman or something like that mm. do something where he kills adults mm-hmm. something yeah. and and now i think we get into the more, most obscure part of the story which is there's a few things going on that that is a bit tangible and weird and the the one that's most jarring is is the mummy being in um the kids closet closet cupboard yes you know like what, what why how when yeah where, where did you get there and then and then just walks out the window yeah without any feels like a skit it's, doesn't it? it feels like a trailer piece you know i think it's because they just wanted to have you know the, the fun shot of the dad opening the door and talking about how there's nothing there right if i rewrote this not like i'm some listen shane black and fred decker far more talented than i <laughs> um but i would have the kids not be believed by the adults mm. ditch the cops Ditch them. Yeah. The way that the cops give the Sean all the information about how these monsters are conversion. Ditch all that. Have the kids see the monsters and then they tell the adults and the adults don't believe them. Yeah. And that's why they're like, right, we need to form the monster squad mm, because yeah. no one believes us and we're the only ones that are going to take them out. Yeah. And then they then the monsters start killing the adults and they're overwhelmed. But these these kids have got the knowledge and they know how to take them yeah. out. Yeah, because there's, there's nothing... I don't know why they didn't go down that route. Well, there's nothing about, like, oh, you kids are... You kids are so addled on these on these stupid books and these stupid movies and, you know, threatened. Like, yeah. the, the dad says it to Eugene. You know, he's like, uh, you're going to see monsters, no more monster magazines. But this is, like, one, one scene with a, a character which, as you pointed out, 
isn't really a character. He's just a boy with a dog. We've not been introduced. When I, the first time I saw it, after I watched it twice this yeah. week, I, I didn't know that that was the same kid that was in the clubhouse. I mm. thought that was just a random yeah. kid. Yeah, and yeah. that mommy was just in a random closet. But also, if you're going to rewrite it, what, it, one thing that always stuck with me is they have the suggestion that scary German guys in the big house, but then next thing, they're mates with him. So why not make them mates with him at the beginning? And then, like you were saying, the dynamic could be stop hanging out with the scary German guy. He's, you that's, know, it's like, yeah, that's a good point. You know, yeah, and, it's and the, it, yes, it's similar to Back to the Future, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, it works. Yeah, Doc Brown I think it would have worked for this, this Me film. Me too. There's yeah. other examples like uh, uh, Michael in, uh, in Phantasm. Hmm. You know, okay. the kid in, the kid sees the, the tall man. So uh, in in the movie Phantasm, you've got um, uh, the lead character is is a youngish kid. He's kind of a, a tearaway sort of around the same age as these kids, twelve, thirteen, and um, he sees. So that the plot is that there's uh, the Undertaker in town is this kind of very tall, very scary dude, and he sees him carrying a coffin single handedly back into the um, uh, the mausoleum, and that kicks off the whole plot. And he spends the whole film desperately trying to convince his older brother that there's something creepy happening in town and he doesn't believe him. So he goes off to investigate himself and that's how the plot kicks into gear. But like that kid is the protagonist for that, that film. Mm-hmm. He's the yeah. one who's driving the plot forward. Yeah. And yeah, it's, um, and that was what, like eight years before this. Yeah. yeah. So there's precedent it, it, there. But anyway, the gang have formed. So Sean has done his anagram. And uh, this Dracula. is Monster Squad Assemble, essentially. Did you hear a word I said? The guys are dead. Get a clue? Something's out there and it's killing people. And if it's monsters, nobody's going to do a thing about it but us. So what do we do? I think this book might be important. Look, it's Van Helsing's diary. My mom said they found an old house on Shadowbrook Road. But I can't read it. It's all in German. My sister takes German in high school. Now this house, can you explain this to me? Because I've seen it twice this week. And I still can't work out what this house is. Is it a relic of the past that he knows, or is this just somewhere that he's hanging out? I, I couldn't work it out. It's got prison cells and everything. <clears throat> what something's drawing him to it because the amulet's there, really. Mm. But but again, how? How? I thought the amulet was in Transylvania, exactly. right? I, I don't understand. We didn't. Um, I. We but didn't again, really establish what that vortex is. I know later on they say that it, it takes you to limbo, whether it might have made more sense for that to be, you know, just a mysterious vortex in the kind of army of darkness sense that means that things mm. can be transmitted or sent, you know. But then again, it, it is 100 years. Anything could have happened in 100 years. Alternatively, you could just do what they did in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the TV series, and just oh, say, yeah. uh, this town Hell is Mouth. the Hellmouth. That's, yep, that's yeah. perfect. Because, um, you know, when they find the amulet, it's in, it's in a house that's got um, basically prison cells and also that it's bricked up behind a wall in a basement surrounded by crucifixes and garlic. So whoever put it there knew exactly <laughs> what they were doing. Yeah. And now, but then we get into the exposition scene. Exposition time. Tell you what, they picked a really freaky looking oh, he's actor. Good. I and like he does him. a good job of yeah. being yeah, creepy. He's, he's, he's great. Well, does it describe the procedure at all? In detail, this was the last entry. On this date, he was to 
battle those forces himself. Interesting. Tis tomorrow's date, one hundred years ago. intercut between those two scenes frankenstein has been given a mission from dracula to mm-hmm. get the van helsen's diary that i have no idea how dracula <laughs> knew that sean had it but again conceit we'll just give it we'll just give them that i mean we're giving them a lot here but we'll give them that yeah um so frankenstein has turned up and phoebe's there mm-hmm. with a teddy bear which will be important later on well that's that's your uh your direct reference to the um James Whale, yeah. Frankenstein movie, where you know. Yes, 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 and I knew you would. I knew you would know that, Devlin. Um, which is nice. It's a nice reference. Yeah, it's a nice, right? It's a nice. It's a nice little homage, and it, and it works for the story, and it works for for the character of Phoebe. That this is the thing that will mm-hmm. get her accepted within the club. Yeah. Well, we get a nice long lens shot after this, which reminded me of Big. You know, and they're walking and talking, uh, talking about what they need to do and about a virgin. And is this when they, yeah, uh, to read the passage? That's when they, they, uh, Sean tells everyone yeah. what yeah, they yeah. got to do. So we're we're getting ready for the. Uh, um, and he goes to ask Rudy think... if he knows any virgins, and we get that cut away. Oh yeah, no, when that's... he See, <laughs> spits out the coke. Yeah. <laughs> but right, you know, yeah, but yeah. Oh no, there's um. Don't they also have the? Uh, this is where they have uh, uh, the 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 moment in the in the clubhouse with Frankenstein's not, monster as well. Where they show not the yet, no, because Phoebe needs to introduce Frankenstein to him first. So we're at the foot of the uh, uh, of right, the yeah. treehouse, and she brings them out, and they all run away, and they they hide. Uh, Horace goes in the bin, and they hide, and she introduces him. That's just before yeah. that. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. And we've got a bit of standby me as well with hmm. these long panning shots of them walking through trees and forestry. And then you're right. We've got Phoebe saying, guys, you've got to come and see this. Yeah. And lo and behold, we've not talked about yeah. it yet because I thought I'd wait until we get to this point. Tom Noonan. Tom Noonan. It's Frankenstein's monster. The Tom Noonan. Tom Noonan. What's, what do you know him best from? Last Action Hero. Yeah, he's the Ripper. He's the Ripper. He? He's he's yeah. he's great with this kind of uh, immersive role. Isn't he? And we didn't we didn't really touch upon it. I mean, uh, Patrick, you mentioned about the bolts because of copyright. But what do we think of of Frankenstein? I mean, they are evoking that classic look. Yeah. But he, yeah, oh, yeah it's... Uh, it's something about the wig that just seems a little bit off. Um, but okay. but I think Tom Noonan does a great job. So Tom Noonan's great. We we have a nice. Uh, there's a nice camera move to set him up against the kids when they come to introduce themselves and it, it pans up behind him to establish his height looking down over shoulder when we then go into the treehouse and they show him the mask of himself from the 40s films. It's a really yeah. nice moment, I think. And it, it is touching because mm. he says, scary, because he recognises that that's what his appearance is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've no idea yeah. why Dracula ever trusted in him because he's not that kind of oh, character. No, uh, but... Well, no, well, think about who Dracula had to choose. I mean, Gilman is Gilman. Wolfman would just rip the kids apart, and uh, the mummy can't talk either. So Frankenstein <laughs> was the only one that he could send, I guess, out of the group. Dracula has found the amulet, and you mentioned it before, <laughs> Devlin. Uh, crosses, garlic. 
this is like this is hammer horror, right? The the actors really hamming it up, and the woman oh, sort of just like snarling away. Um, and this almost feels like an Indiana Jones uh, sort of setup. The way that the the yeah, MacGuffin thought, is covered in this light, it feels like the um, the golden mm. orb in the opening shot of Raiders of the Last Ark. You know the way that it's presented, especially um, in in a bit when Sean kind of ends up, you know, when they fall into the basement. And then Sean breaks into the room and mm-hmm, gets it. Mm-hmm. That felt very, very, very much yeah. like they were pulling from, which makes sense because Indiana Jones would have been contemporary, 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 with it. and it's a fun adventure. And then we have my favorite moment in every yes. movie. It's a montage, right? I think it's really funny that this uh, this music, these kind of montage songs, they're not real bands. Nobody knows who they are, but <laughs> there must just be like this big library of of kind of off the shelf, vaguely inspirational, upbeat '80s pop rock. <laughs> well, we love it though, right, Devin? Yeah, I mean, to rock until you Jonathan Parr. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Stan Bush, yeah. yeah, rock until you drop. I like it. Uh, Stan Bush is—I mean, Stan Bush is like the king of the montage music. I know yeah, that, he I do... know that um, you're a big fan of Kickboxer when he likes to explain the plot of the film through <laughs> <laughs> through up-tempo power ballads. <laughs> oh, it, it is the best. But also, you've got uh, Rocky Four. I don't know who the uh, who the artists are in that, but they've uh, all got they've all got mullets. That, that might be yeah, the yeah. biggest montage though. Rocky Four. The... Yeah, what I would like to say though is when we say montage, basically, so every time you've got shots that juxtapose and cut together, that's a montage. But mm. what we're talking about is 80s montages whereby loads of stuff happens yeah. and it's all plot related, but it's in a nice condensed uh, and fun way with some music in the background that gets you all pumped up. So essentially, <laughs> what they're doing here in the Monster Squad, you've got Rudy collecting. Uh, all the weapons, so he's got literally all of them. Literally all the weapons. Yeah, he gets his bow. Uh, he's uh, he's smelting down the cutlery into silver bullets. But for a junior high, that's like a pretty impressive shop class. He's doing yeah, and then he's making steaks. And doesn't his teacher see the steaks, but just doesn't notice what they are? Yeah, he shows him like a like a birdhouse or something. Yeah. I don't know, but it, it either way, Rudy's doing most of the heavy lifting. Then you've got Eugene, the little kid mm. who has barely really been in the film, but he's right into the army, and that will come in later it's on. It's a nice little moment, isn't it? Because is that when he high fives his dog as well? Like, yeah, well, the dog uh, <laughs> the, the dog envelope. licks the, oh, the envelope, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is you know it's quite nice. <laughs> no, I think one of the important things of the montage is, and one of the things I took away from it as well is the relationship between Frankenstein and uh, Phoebe. As well, because there's a little development yes, that yes, they're becoming yeah. There's, yeah, there's, friends, and which become important yeah, they, later they in the film in for sentimentality reasons, which is another classic like, 80s trope as well. But then, I suppose going into the next scene, the montage also reveals the photos that have been developed that 
mm. Frankenstein took. Yeah, the troublesome yeah. photos. So basically, in the previous scenes, uh, when Frankenstein was put into the treehouse, he accidentally took a photo. A- accidentally. I mean, he grabs that camera and takes a photo. Rudy was taking photos before <laughs> that as well. It's not gratuitous, though, right? Yeah. Just to say from the off. What, taking a picture of no, 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 women no, no, undressing? What, what we see as an audience, I don't... I don't see it as gratuitous. Oh no, you don't see anything. Not... Well, she's, she's in her, uh, she's in her underwear yeah. in, in one of the scenes, the first scene where Rudy's spying on her. Probably no more gratuitous than, say, in "There's Something About Mary." Yeah, yeah, it's basically the same thing. So once we see the montage, Dracula is basically getting his plan together for the big, big night where the amulet is going to be vulnerable. So he's got the Wolfman tied up, and he's doping him. He's sort of doping him up, getting him ready to turn into the wolfman because he's now in uncle human rico. form uncle rico mm-hmm. yeah indeed <laughs> and then <laughs> if only he could go back but jacula also reveals in a, in a cupboard where we we've no idea where these ladies came from but there's three ladies that are soon to become the the brides of dracula wolfman escapes he's he's in this house and he rings sean's dad and sean's dad the policeman is starting now to think maybe something's going on yeah because he, he mentions yeah. at the end of the call he's gonna he's gonna take your son or he's gonna kill your son and then it's from a phone booth he calls him right Gally, and that's for me one of the it's one of my favorite sequences in it the transformation you know to the wolfman i think it's really cool again as we've discussed stan winston really adding value yeah it's the blend of Practical effects with really good camera work and really good preparation and shot selection. You know, we talked about it before in the opening opening scenes with Dracula, the way his, he transformed from bat yeah. to man. And this is done in a, a sort of a camera sweeping on a dolly shot. And there's a, you know, there's an edit point where they use it and then he's gone from man to beast. And then you see the back. Oh, the back's the best bit. There's, there's a lovely shirt. depth of field on there and it's just... It's it's really quite affecting. Yeah, it's good. Right, should we should we get into it, Devlin? In the in the treehouse. Yes. So Rudy, um, Rudy and uh, Pete. Uh, I want to say Pete. Patrick. Patrick yeah. Rudy How and Patrick take Patrick's sister up to the clubhouse, and uh, and try and convince her <laughs> to help them because you know they need to check if she's a virgin. They need to ask. Ever been dog? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You, Great eighties line not, there, isn't it? Again, the language is a bit odd every now and then in this film. But it's age, yeah. not age. Well. Which is, you know, fine. And the the overall setup of it, like these kind of teenage boys, or in Patrick's case, probably preteen boy, having to confront this, you know, very adult issue. Yeah. And it being really uncomfortable for them. That's like that's that's cool. That's you know, that's uh. But I think it's the it's the the method that they use in order to get her to to help them with the conclusion of the film. Uh, yeah, like a lot of films of this era, has really not aged well in terms of what you can and can't do. No, with you, you, you feel know, like now that characters. there's a better way for them to have got her to agree to it, a more creative way than what is yeah. essentially blackmail. Yeah, blackmail with a naked picture of her threatening to post it publicly in the school. You guys- are sick. Guess what? Fox Photos got a two-for-one deal this week, and wouldn't you know it, there's a space on the bulletin board right between the prom committee notes and the football roster. It's it's just that the um the perspective that it comes from is not like, oh my god, this is horrific. The perspective is look at how mm. clever our protagonists are. Yeah, I, yeah and, and it doesn't work, it doesn't help that 
that helps them achieve what you know that she agrees to it and they get their own way it's not it, it is awkward it's it's like you said it hasn't aged well as an issue we've already talked before that it's a it feels like a boy's it film. It does, yeah. And yeah. this feels like it's being written from a teenage boy's perspective. Yeah. And maybe when they watch it, or when people who had seen The Monster Squad, Squad when they were younger, wouldn't have seen all the problems with yeah. this with this oh, it, setup it, it, it totally and uh, the multiple, you know, the multitude <laughs> of sins that it that it mm. uh, commits. But as an adult, it's 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 incredibly uncomfortable and. Yeah. Yeah, you can't you can't justify it in any real way other than just say it's uh, it's another chance to glimpse into into the past and see yeah. how things were. But like you say, um, like the the context of these things is yeah. is important. Like the the times that, that it was in. I mean, basically all these films back in the eighties had scenes like this, where you know somebody would do something like Revenge yeah. of the Nerds. The way the nerd yeah. gets his revenge is by disguising himself as another guy. And sleeping with this guy's girlfriend, mm-hmm. which is horrific. Yeah. Um, you got porkies with people yeah. just poking holes into the showers. Yeah, and and it's all played for laughs. It's yeah, it's it's a capsule of of the times, and I can just say, you know, it's great that things have got better, and these film standards are as a as a, a a little capsule of of what you could and couldn't get away with back then and also like like you're saying that um it is written from a teen boy perspective it's the same as the scene at the start with the um the principal mm-hmm. i mean you know now we're all adults and we understand the consequences of our behavior but if you think what you used to say to your friends in school i mean gay insults were just the norm it's just a thing that you would say so they've got they've got the girl that they think is a virgin now and she needs to the idea is that she's going to read the German passage. It's because she speaks German. Oh, she yes. does German in high school. Uh, but uh, yes. was it the Horace says? Yeah, that, that's Doesn't, why they. She just. Uh, is it? Horace uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's another bad line. Oh, again. <laughs> no, she just lets guys touch her boobs. Yep, indeed. And he doesn't use word. Does it call boobs? boobs though, no, he it? says tits. Oh, okay, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Weirdly, even though we were Ridiculous. just saying that, you know, I just don't come to watch that. I thought was actually more relevant and in keeping with the kind of naivety of these young kid characters yeah that he would just yes. say that yeah, yeah 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 i didn't mind that oh that was fine it's pretty funny <laughs> they've they've entered the the house frankenstein comes in with them dracula is aware of their presence and then i don't know does he somehow summon the house to just collapse on well, frankenstein no, so, they... um I, I did watch this again because the the sequence of it confused me a lot and it turns out that he's already got dynamite hooked up in the wall where he's oh, broken through yeah. and seen the amulet inside. He loves dynamite. So he's, he's so this is, and that was it. I was like, because later <laughs> on, when there's tons of dynamite everywhere, I thought this was a bit weird. But um, no, it turns out he's so he's he's going to blow up that wall so he can get into the room where the amulet is. Okay. Well, listen, it's a way of getting getting Frankenstein out of the uh, out of the action. Yeah, because come back later on. It's been through that the whole Frankenstein thing so quick. When he comes in, and then he gets buried, and like I think Sean does like three inspirational speeches in a row. Like one is like, if he died, he died <laughs> helping us, and then the other one is like, I'm the leader of this squad, and and possibly as well. He also says one of the thing. One of them says, uh, uh, calls him a monster, and Sean says he's not a monster. <laughs> but then we get the uh, the t-shirt scene. So the Wolfman jumps out. Uh, and is about to attack Sean. Horace turn uh, sort of gets his attention, and then the Wolfman's going to attack Horace. 
And Sean uh, says, kick him in the nuts. And, and that's when we find out that Wolfman does got nods. It's cool kicking him in the nods as well. It's a cool yeah. little sequence, especially for, you know, you, you know, it's, we, we look at this film on the surface and it's kids running around after monsters. It's supposed to be fun and it's supposed to be about kicking yeah. a Wolfman in the dick. Yeah, this, <laughs> this has a, a bit of, that sort of um, <laughs> like adventurous spirit that maybe some of the rest of the yeah. film doesn't yeah, yeah. quite yeah. land with. Yeah, we're 55 yeah. minutes in at this it's point. It's a bit more goony, this, this section, I'd say. Especially, you know, sliding down the secret yeah. door and then you, there's like a, a body down there with bugs in it. And... This is the kind of stuff that I just think the film should have had earlier on. I mean, a bit it of score been... music. Yeah, it, it could have been a lot I more. like the, the, the score in this bit from what I remember. Like when, mm-hmm. you, when you've got the, the three corridors, you've got the, the Wolfman, Dracula, and the Brides of, of Dracula all coming down the three corridors at them. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Sean gets the amulet. Dracula grabs him, and Horace. It's his, it's another hero moment. Patrick. Luckily, he keeps a stash of pizza uh, mm. on his person. <laughs> Don't we all? Only <laughs> really garlicky pizza, though. Uh, Devlin, do you remember at uni how um, if you ever left any food in the fridge, <laughs> I would well, always go yes. in in the morning and then leave a note saying you've been had by his Ventura pet detective. Yep. Anyone who'd been down Lucky's Pizza <laughs> on the way home from whatever god-awful indie club we were at that night would leave. Usually it would be our good, flan, uh, our good friend Longtran. Yeah, he, he, used, leave, to, he used to burst into our pizza. room. And, he, he would be so pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that time, um, slightly off topic, do you remember that time that I uh, reheated my Lucky's pizza after I got home from a night out and I left it in the oven while I fell asleep for 10 hours? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we, woke, oh! we woke up to some carbon. We, yeah, that one tried to kill me. <laughs> I We had a Greg's around the corner from ours in my house in the second year and it, he used to sell pasties at like 20p on the way back. <laughs> me and Gav used to get them. I left them in the oven so many times. Oh, it's bad, it? I used to fall asleep at the kitchen table amid the smoke. Oh, Listen, we should just uh, heed Arnie's advice in Raw Deal and not drink and bake because yeah. it, you are going to kill yourself <laughs> if you do. And that's a, that's a life lesson you can take forward for the rest of your time. Uh, so, yeah, we've got, uh, he's got a stash of secret pizza, uh, puts it on Dracula's face, garlic. Uh, burns mm-hmm. him, and again, this is all good, fun stuff. And I just wish uh, that we'd had this, you know, thirty minutes earlier, maybe, uh, yeah. and, and and kind of well, kept, we know. kept this through. Um, we're we're ramping up into the end. We're, we're an hour we're, into the film. Yeah, we're about twenty uh, minutes from the end. So yeah. we have our chase, right? So one of the, our our first mm. monster is going to get taken out. So we have got the mummy grabs onto Which the is, back of the truck. Again, it's a really cool. Scene. It really it is. is. Right. So nice. it is. The film is picking up pace at this oh, point. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, it's really good. And uh, I love the way that the the dog uh, grabs the band aid and helps, so he's also part of the squad. How do, explain to me how Rudy? I don't think it could actually happen, but it's quite cool the way it happens. He does he wrap the band aid in? Yeah, he ties the it arrows. to the back of a, an arrow and he fires it into a tree. Yeah. And so when the when the the truck drives away, it's kind of it's unraveling the mummy as it goes. And it's great. Like everything about the sequence yeah. really works. In fact, yeah, including the scene when the mummy first steps out in front of the truck. Yeah, yeah. And there's um, there's a nice mix of like actual practical driving effects. There's a good rear projection. The the creature design of the mummy is great. The face on it. 
I like it. Yeah, the close-up of the mummy, like screaming at the kids, is is really cool. Yeah. It looks great. Again, thank you, Sam Winston. Yeah. Indeed. It's good stuff. Uh, so once the mummy's taken out, Dracula is pissed. Oh, sorry, before we move on, we've got one of the worst lines in the film that almost ruins the sequence, <laughs> which is Rudy's line off yeah. to the mummy. See you later, Band-Aid breath. Oh, yeah, that's... <laughs> but listen, Patrick, don't be, don't be a naysayer. Have you got something better, or are we just going to stick with Band-Aid breath? I'm going to put you on the spot. Oh, come on. <laughs> it's, well, you're not my mummy. <laughs> Dad cop and laughing cop. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call his partner laughing cop now. Or, uh, I don't know, maybe we can call him, like... Samurai Winst- Cop? <laughs> I was, was going to say Winston Zeddemore. Yeah, he, sounds, he is. He sounds a lot. I thought he was him at first yeah, glance. His voice he's... is very similar to Ernie Hudson. But yeah, they're, they're driving and the, um, the, the hearse is barreling down the street at them and it kind of passes through them in a ghost car. And that's when uh, it cuts back to um, 80s mum and the, the candle blows out. In yeah, it's a nice room. little touch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The candle that's you know that they're supposed to. They could have made more of that, I think, but it but it is a nice touch, and again, like you said yeah. earlier, it reminding you of something that you may have forgotten it's, about that they it, set up really in the fast, film. Though. The candle's lit; it keeps you yeah. saying, "Yeah, very, very." So Dracula uh, pulls up at the house. We don't really know how he knows where Sean lives. Uh, he's Dracula, got his dynamite. But he rang though. He did ring them earlier, you know, under his anagram. Oh, uh, yeah, you got you you got a call from Doctor. Bacula. <laughs> no. <laughs> Do you say Scott Bacula? No. Oh dear. But yeah, he, he turns up, pulls up on the lawn, and uh, he's got his sticks of dynamite, chucks it into the treehouse. Already and, uh, lit. He walks around the corner with it already lit. He's it's a ballsy a... one, isn't he? Yeah. But he's, he's got himself a, an 80s one-liner. Meeting mm. adjourned. <laughs> Doesn't really make sense, but... That's pretty good. <laughs> But yeah, he blows up the clubhouse. It's a pretty good explosion. It's a pretty then, good explosion, yeah. And then what else does he blow up? Oh. <laughs> oh, uh, so then Sean's dad turns up with his uh, with his partner in a cop car. They start firing oh, you know, at Dracula. They, they don't, sh- they don't and shoot he... first. He just, he's, he's telling him to freeze. Oh. And then he looks down and using his brain powers, he makes the, he makes the, the, <laughs> the dynamite be on fire. And then he and then he chucks it under. Oh the yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's brutal, isn't it? Dracula's like a stone cold killer. Yeah. And uh, we have a wonderful, another wonderful transition, but this yeah. time it's uh, it's done in yeah. animation. But it's but what is great, and the reason why it's so good is because we, Fred Decker knows to give us different looks, so he's not showing the same transitions. He's using you know using different techniques, and that's great. And I really I really like it uh, the way it just sort of pans slowly into. The mother, as she opens the door, and then we've got the shadow uh, mm. on the house. Yeah, it's really I think, cool. I think they've done that in a, in a few 80s films. I think it was just a really efficient and effective. I'm sure uh, Gremlins, I seem to remember. Gremlins 2. It's, it's good. It works. Yeah. And it's quick. It's, it's nice. It's probably cheap, too. And then he's in the air, and we're heading towards back yeah. to the square. We're right? heading towards Hill Valley. I mean, not Hill Valley. My bad. Of course. Little <laughs> joke there. Um, yeah, we're heading towards the town centre where they're, they're trying to get to the church because monsters don't like religion. Again, kids, it's a good line. Uh, we drive past. Now, we didn't talk about product placement. We drive, we drive straight past only one recognisable building on the way in, which is a neon yellow 
Burger King. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a whopping yeah. bit of product placement. But <laughs> That <laughs> took me a really long time. The brides start walking in. You know what, though? I remember when I, when I was a kid, I, I do remember feeling the kind of fear mm. of them approaching. Well, it's because... Um, there was something about the slow-burning threats of it. I did feel that. and But it does have my favourite Rudy moment in it when he, he grabs the bow, he's got his stakes at the back, and he, he says, where are you going? He says, where are you going, Rudy? I'm in the goddamn club, aren't I? I, I love this little sequence. I think it's, again, talking of hero moments, that's Rudy's best bit. Yeah. It's, I think it's a great line mm-hmm. and it's really kind of something you can get on board with and like, fuck yeah, let's go. And uh, Dracula is flying in as a bat. And this, <laughs> this is probably my favorite, uh, like one of my favorite little little <laughs> bits is he's, trying to, he's, he's sort of flying in as a bat. The, the dad pulls in, Proving once again that Carr does beat Bat uh, when <laughs> trying to get to the same location, and he shoots the Bat. And Dracula then crashes through a window, and then the the dad follows him up. He's also got a stick of dynamite. I don't know where from. Yeah, there's a. Uh, can, can you help me out where <laughs> he got the stick of dynamite season, from? I think. <laughs> but when he gets up to the uh, the like warehouse room. Uh, it's again, it's a wonderful little creature design of half bat, half man sort yeah, of flaming. I think, I think that's the best one. It's almost a bit like it's horrible, like the it? thing or something. It's, it's like proper body horror. The writing. So you, we talked before about throwaway lines that then come back in, but this is one of those throw, throwaway lines that again, on second watch, you can have real fun with. Said how many, how different ways can you kill the Wolfman? Well. You can chuck him out of a window yep. and fall onto a bomb. It is. And the, this shot, the wide shot, when he's out the window and it blows up, that's wicked. Oh, yeah. It works again because it's so fast. Like, it's just... Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's... Yeah, it's, yeah. Quick, it's quick cuts. You think you've seen what... You, know, you you paint the picture and you fill in the gaps. Um, it's great. I, I think the only bit that maybe you would look at doing, again, slightly differently is the way that the Wolfman then sort of comes well, back like together. It. I was going to say, uh, I was not that it, it look, Yeah, not that it looks yeah, bad. His just... limbs twitching and then it just sort of, it all sucks back together really fast. And he stands, again, done in shadow. When he stands up, it's it's a, a shadow of him howling. It's really simple. The, the simple and effective filmmaking. You know, the close-ups of it, you're just pulling an arm out of shot, but it has, it, it really has the effect that it's, you know, he's putting himself back together and that's not a way you can kill a wolf man. I, I I like it. Like you said, the fast moment of blowing him up and then the slow redevelopment of him. It's really cool. Uh, whilst he was uh, pulling himself together, hey. it is revealed that Patrick's sister is no longer, uh, is not a virgin. <laughs> She's not a virgin. She reads out the passages in German and they realize, uh-oh. Who is it? Who is it that she's Steve. had sex with? Count. But doesn't count. It doesn't count. Steve. It's, it's funny. It's a good line. Rudy. Rudy then gets a, gets another another hero moment. Right. So the Wolfman has pulled himself together. The police are all starting to uh, attack the Wolfman, but they're being beat. Oh God, I was going to say beaten off. Then Jesus. Uh, they being. Uh, Do you know? What I think. <laughs> no, I can't ever think of uh, beating off without thinking about brass eye. Would you? Would you beat them off? What if, what if, what if there was a whole room? What if there was a whole room of them? Would you beat them all? Off? No, I'd certainly give it a go. <laughs> so anyway, uh, so the Wolfman's attacking all these policemen. Oh God, we've digressed. Uh, he's attacking all these policemen, and this is again what I wish we'd had maybe earlier in the film: is 
The adults are ineffective and the kids are more effective because they've got the knowledge. They know how to defeat these monsters. And Eugene has the realization that Phoebe is a version? She a version? Yes. A virgin. Where does the go? She can't read. She's five years old. I help her. It's funny, it's cute. Yeah. Like it, again, the <laughs> innocent. Finally, the creature in the Black Lagoon gets an opportunity to be in the film. Uh, he starts slowly <laughs> stalking Horace. And Patrick, we talked about it before, right at the beginning. Yeah. Horace and the bullies. Yeah. The bullies got their comeuppance straight away. But then here's another moment for them to see that Horace is actually quite cool. He picks up a shotgun and uh, he just takes him out. One shot to the heart. Boom. Done. This is probably a t-shirt moment. I do like that he like clocks the the shotgun and says, "My name is Horace." Again, Horace gets some good moments in this film. Phoebe starts to recite uh, the passages <clears throat> in the book, and we get the big bad. Dracula is now fully recovered, and again another covered slow in, walk covered towards in our, our central characters. In his first shot, yeah, he's got the T. He's got the T. The Terminator yeah. lightning around. Him. I do like the way he, he walks uh, forward and, and just starts like fucking. Yeah, it's not. It's not a slow cars. walk, Ali. I don't think it's a. Deter- it's like he's on a rampage here and just you know, and the way he gets rid of the police, you know, he's snapping yeah, nets. He's, he's just. He's got his eye on one goal and some really, really ineffective training for these cops. <laughs> one, guy, like, one guy pulls a gun on him yeah, know, yeah. and then just stands facing him, waiting <laughs> to have his skull crushed. <laughs> this film's been slightly conflicted with regards to is it a family fun film or is it sort of an action horror film? And here, it this is where it feels most jarring. It, I disagree. I, I'll disagree straight away then. But this is the whole point of this is it's a shock, and it is. It, I still found it shocking watching it now from when I was a kid as well. That yes, he approaches the girl, and it's not a comforting hand at all. It's still a a threatening hand mm. on her chin. But to raise her off the ground and hold her by the face, it's, yeah. it's really quite a striking and almost terrifying thing because she is the, she is the innocence that she is the youngest mm. and the purest of, of them all and give me the amulet you bitch well this is where i'll disagree with you patrick it's not the act it's not the action well, yes, it's, it's, but it's, yeah. it's when he calls her a bitch. That's the bit that I mean, I get it. I get it. You're going for shock, but it's pretty, yeah, well, because he's you know that's the, he's, he's evil vampire. I'm not sure. Yeah, but it's, it's the phrasing. It's such a kind of eighties thing to say, which is odd because like you know we're we're doing these throwback creatures. This guy, you know, he's dressed. He's got the full kind of. It's it's even more theatrical than Lugosi. I'm just, it's. I think it's just the use of the word "bitch." I don't have a problem with him picking her up and yelling something at her, and yeah. and it's great when he does his little um, uh, transformation fang face at her, mm. and the, the yeah, yeah. The, the amulet is yeah. Oh yeah, and the green light comes up. It's it's look it's great, really really good stuff. Scary, frightening, exactly what you want. I'm with Devlin on this one. I just think the. Um, Mm-hmm. One, I don't think that character would say that. I mean, I'm not going. I'm not going to get into. No, it. I couldn't believe that Dracula I'm... would say that, not in this film. But I'm just saying. I just think it, it really jarred with me uh, quite a bit. I would have preferred it if you just said, "Give me the, yeah, the give me the amulet." Yeah, it was. It wasn't the action, words. Patrick. Yeah, I was okay. getting to it. It was very much the the dialogue. But with all that hatred now we've got for Dracula, Frankenstein turns back up, 
and it's great. It's a great little reveal. We see a hand on the shoulder of Dracula, and there he is, Tom Noonan, sympathetic <laughs> Frankenstein number one. And he just uh, chucks Dracula onto the onto what, like a fence, like I a pierce my foot on a spike. bit like a. <laughs> oh, it's a spike, <laughs> Lynn. There are people who have come here from Stoke. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but if you uh, if you can imagine, it's Kim Jong Yul in Team America at the way he <laughs> oh, lands yeah, yeah. on uh, on the spy, <laughs> and uh, and Frankenstein gives gives Phoebe the uh, the amulet. They have like a little tender moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, scary German guy chucks the amulet into the air, and it creates this uh, this vortex that was a at the beginning of the film. Vortex. <laughs> oh, absolutely! You can see that Dracula's got off the spike, and he just. Instead of going for Phoebe, he goes after Sean. I suppose he did say he was going to kill. He specifically says, I will have your son. Oh, yeah. Which is- yeah. <laughs> 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 um, and, uh, but Sean gets his chance to have his hero moment. He, he grabs, a, grabs a stake, spikes Dracula, and there's Van, Van Helsing. Helsing. And if you want to talk about contextually weird communication, then the thumbs up from Van Helsing <laughs> just crop it up. But but I kind of I kind of like it, and it's kind of it's kind of fun. I love the dog, uh, sort of just uh, being held yeah. midair, just ch- sort of patterning. Oh, yeah. It's great. Uh, and then we get our our touching moment, which I'm not going to lie. When Frankenstein is saying goodbye to Phoebe. I've mentioned this many, many times before. I'm very, very easily manipulated. Oh. All films are manipulated. <laughs> and that's the whole idea. But yeah, I, uh, I did. I did shed a tear, I'm afraid, oh. guys. Yeah. Is the music and, oh, and Tom Noonan's little face. Yeah. Well, they did a good job oh. then. They did create yeah, the relationship nicely between Phoebe and Frankenstein, I thought. No, they didn't. I just am <laughs> a sucker for this stuff. They didn't, Patrick. It was at the teddy bear. If they I had, mean, you would have also cried. Was it cried. the teddy bear? Yes, it's the teddy bear. When she chucks the teddy bear... They do that little handshake, and he's he's like, "No, don't go, Frankenstein." Uh, yeah, and when she chucks in the teddy bear, yeah, lovely, lovely <laughs> moment. <laughs> Great. That's pretty much it. The army start rolling in because Eugene sent them a letter. <laughs> Good casting on that on that mean uh, soldier. Mustache yeah, yeah. What in the name yeah, of Sam Hill is going on? <laughs> yeah, they've beamed him straight in from like some yeah some old Sam Fuller movie. And the uh, the kids, well, they created their business cards, so here's their <laughs> opportunity to use them. The, the the army guy's like, "What's going on here? What the goddamn bear yeah. is going on?" And uh, Sean says, don't worry, we dealt with it. And who are you? We're the Master Square. Kick in the music. Cue the, Cue the 80s high five. Cue the music. Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> what this film needed was some white rap. <laughs> <laughs> well, we need a, it's like a proto Will Smith, isn't it? What? It is, yeah, uh, it is. No, let's yeah, let's 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 finish the film by talking about the plot of the film we just watched in. Oh, yeah, okay. Yes, 
Patrick, I've listened to the song and they literally recite the entire film. In fact, they did a better job than we have in an hour and 45 minutes. Yeah, maybe we should, maybe we should just scrap this and just play that. <laughs> so that leaves us to ask uh, the important question then, Patrick. Would you recommend The Monster Squad? Did you waste your youth? I would recommend it. I would. And I didn't waste my youth. It's not like a, it wasn't a film that I watched all the time, but... My my memories of this are very fond, and I, I, when I first watched, it, I remember really enjoying it, really getting on board. I loved Rudy, I loved this little moment, and I thought it was really cool. And the film, I thought I think, looks great and is fun. Looking back on it now, I, there's a I don't think it's aged perfectly, and there's a lot of plot points, and there's some of it's inexplicable in how they get from A to B, but. I do still enjoy it, and I did enjoy talking about it and rewatching it with you guys. Devlin, how about you? Um, well, <laughs> so as I say, this was only the second time I'd seen this, and the first time I saw it was only a couple of years back. Um, but uh, I seem—I pretty much remember kind of, you know, liking it well enough. But I don't think I was—I was fully kind of watching. I think I was—I think I was away at the time, so I sort of watched it in a hotel while doing other stuff. Um, and coming back to it, it's, it's weird, but it, it honestly took me a lot of like concentrated effort to get through it. Like I had to really sit myself down and watch it, which is, um, I don't know, which is a little surprising. Okay. Uh, cause it's not a long film and it moves along at like an unbelievably rapid pace. So I don't know what it was about it that just didn't quite land with me this time. But yeah, I honestly found it like a bit of a bit of a struggle. The sort of 1980s, very backlot shot, suburban set, family adventure comedy. I mean, everyone's got a proper nostalgic sweet spot for that. Uh, I love the old, um, I love the, the old monster movies and stuff. And I think it's great that they're paying homage to it. But as, as a film, I just, I, yeah, it, it didn't quite land with me. I think I found it a bit manic and a bit um, uh, tonally all over the place. I couldn't settle in on it. Okay. If you watched it younger, like anything else, if you've got fond memories of it and you want to go back and revisit it, it's probably still going to be super fun. If you're coming at it fresh as an adult, I think maybe it's a bit patchy. But yeah. Um, yeah, gals, what do you reckon? I had a lot of fun with it, certainly in the first viewing. I think the child actors are all good. There are some funny exchanges. And I think when the story allows for it, there is a fun adventure film in here. Uh, there are, however, some seriously outdated attitudes, the depiction of the mother, the blackmail scene, and also the homophobic jokes. Quite hard to get past. But... The monsters are the stars of the show here. And despite them not really being utilized to the maximum, in my opinion, I found that the designs and the practical effects and the camera work when during the transformation uh, sequences are worth the cost of admission. Yeah. It's a weak recommend, but if you're nostalgic for the 80s, you know, if you like Back to the Future, you like the Goonies, etc., etc., and you've got a soft spot maybe for the Universal Monsters, then yeah you should definitely check out The Monster Squad. I also think the film is a prime example of something that should be remade. You know, it wasn't a success, 
it's garnered a cult following since. And I do think that somebody in 2000, well, 2000 and whenever, could definitely improve on, on the original. So yeah, it's a weak recommend, but it's a recommend nonetheless for the Monster Squad. I do think, though, and I agree, it is a film ripe for a remake. I would have loved to have seen someone like Joe Dante make this like, 10 years ago or something. Yeah, that'd be great. Because he, he'd be perfect for this. Like kind of... But, but hey... Mm. I, like small soldiers. Yeah, God, yeah, it'd have been perfect. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah twenty small, years yeah. ago, maybe. That, I, he's been. he's the director I'd love to have made this. You know, with Shane Black, maybe. But anyway, I, I still, I still, um, I still like this film quite a bit. Brilliant. Um, which yeah, which, which means right. which means as ever. Come on, fearless uh, leader of the Monster Squad. What it is the wheel has been spun, and it's Gally. So uh, I wanted to go back to the 70s because we haven't done a 70s film yet. And I figured the timing was right with a new release coming out. I think it will be next week uh, with oh. Creed 2. But I'd like us to go back to the original. So we are going to go back to 1976 and we're going to watch the Academy Award winning oh, no Rocky way. starring Sylvester Stallone. Great. I'm sure... You'll cue yes, the music indeed. now. <laughs> I will cue the music. Uh, I'll, I'll also reserve the backstory as to why this one's really important to me. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll hold that back for the episode. Yeah, hopefully you guys will enjoy going back and watching the original Rocky. Great. It's been ages. I'm really looking forward to the. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to discussing it because it's one of my. It's one of my favourites. Uh, certainly one of my favourite character study films. So yeah, I'm looking forward to getting into it. Do you know what? Just a quick, very quick link between Monster Squad and Rocky, Ben, is you know the guy in Rocky who steals Rocky's locker It's given to him, the boxer, and he's training. That is yeah, yeah. Smiley Cop who gets blown up by the dynamite. Really? Ah. Yeah, there that's you go, cool. Oh, that's Dipper like Brown. That. Dipper <laughs> Brown, there you go. <laughs> you know what? I, d- oh, yeah, I think as ever... We've, we've talked about uh, this on, um, on on this before because I picked a couple of sequels, and again, this is one of those things where like I've seen those sequels a ton of times. I don't I don't remember the last time I saw the actual Rocky. This is gonna be. Well, I think you can have a good time, with yeah. Devlin. Well, I hope you do. Um, it's very much a, a '70s film, and I think it's one of the reasons why I really really like it. But like I said, I'm gonna I'll hold back. Uh, some of the reasons why it's important to me uh, when we get into it. But yeah, I think you're going to enjoy it. I'm certainly looking forward to hearing your opinions on it because, like most people, it might have been a long, long time since you've gone back and actually watched the original. And when most people think of a Rocky film, I think they're thinking of Rocky 3 or Rocky 4. Yeah. I don't think they're thinking about Rocky. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll be interested to go into it. Nice. Cool. So, that's the end of the episode. And I'll say goodbye for now. So that's Gally signing out in Glasgow. And Devlin in London. And Wags in Leicester. Thanks for listening guys and we'll catch you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast.